Welcome to the Nurse Surgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. Welcome back to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Today we conclude our mini-series on neurosurgical families, and this is kind of a sensitive topic, and um, I am uh, not having JP on. It's just myself and Nick Boulis, who's a friend of the podcast. Nick is um, from Emory, and he's a fantastic um, mind and uh, just a wonderful person in general, and I wanted to find the right person that I could have this conversation with because, you know, honesty is so hard to find in the world. And the topic we're going to talk about today is divorce. And the reason it's sensitive, I guess, is because, you know, our personal lives are very personal and neurosurgeons are notorious for having issues with divorce. And I wanted Nick back on because the last time we recorded him, which was early in the podcast, um, we talked about the personality traits of humans, right, <laughs> yeah. Nick? And I, I felt like if I had to pick the one episode out of the last hundred and 58 that we've recorded, that probably has the most bearing on the concept of divorce. So, Nick, let's reintroduce yourself to the podcast because it's been about 130 episodes since you've been on. All right. Um, I'm Nick Bullis. I'm a professor of neurosurgery at Emory University. Uh, I run a translational laboratory. I found biotechs, uh, and I'm running a functional and peripheral nerve practice focused on DBS, pain, uh, nerve repair, and nerve sheath tumors. So I'd just like to say, the uh, when I was coming through medical school, I was told the joke, uh, you know why so many neurosurgeons get divorced, don't you? No, why? Because occasionally they come home. <laughs> I've never heard that one. Well, <laughs> tell us, okay, tell us, so you went to college at Yale, right? Yep. And then medical school? Harvard. Harvard, oh, well, Yale, Harvard, okay. And then Michigan, right, for residency? Yep, yep, I was a Buzz Hoff boy. Okay, and then Cleveland Clinic? Yep. And Emory? So when are you going to go to Stanford and just round it all out? Shh. Maybe my kids will go to Stanford. <laughs> oh, God. Wow. So, um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll tell you a similar USC story, which is that uh, the late Ted Kersey, who was the founder of the department, I believe, and uh, was, was very famous for using the operating microscope, first surgeon to use the operating microscope in neurosurgery in the world, so they claim, uh, had four wives. The first wife he married because he was young and in love. The second he married on the rebound of that. The third, he married for true love, and the fourth, he married for money. And he's was happiest with the fourth wife. <laughs> and, he, and his daughter told me that. His daughter's a nice doctor. Yeah. Interesting. So, so okay, so let's let's dive deep into this now. So yeah. you and I are, we're almost the same age. You're a little older than me, right? You're 50? A bit, a couple years. 53? Yeah, 55, oh, actually. 55, okay, I'm 50, so, so we're close to the same age. And we are, would you call that midlife, or is that past midlife? Uh, I'm, I'd say beginning of the end game career-wise, but, uh, you know, we're, life expectancy is around 80, 85, so end of the middle, beginning of the latter third. Okay, so um, why don't we do this? Walk through sort of like, you know, the stages, you know, you said medical school, so yeah. so early attending, then these stages of, of life, and then how that relates maybe to divorce, divorce potential, what are the pitfalls, stuff like that. Right. Well, I mean, you, you've started a theme about the, that which characterizes 
uh, your your primary relationship, uh, the person you're going to marry, your life partner, um, person you want to have kids with, and uh, I, just, I have a ton of thoughts about this. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, as neurosurgeons, uh, particularly successful neurosurgeons, have uh, entered academics and become established, uh, you know, we tend to be fairly successful. Success characterizes our our careers and our lives. Uh, we tend to to focus on the things we want to achieve and and get them. Um, and, I'll, and I'll tell you just to start with that my divorce and uh, my marriage, my only marriage, uh, is really haunts me as my biggest failure. I mean, it, and, and in a way, I really, you know, I, when I got married, I just assumed that I would never get divorced because her parents didn't get divorced. My parents didn't get divorced. That was well. That's a big that assumption, my, right? I mean, my parent. Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't something that was going to happen to me. Why do we I assume that? Bad. Why do we assume that marriage is for life, for example? Uh, well, I, I think I think that those kinds of thoughts uh, occurred to me uh, and continue to, to to occur to me. I don't necessarily think all people are made to mate for life, um, which which begs the question of what is the purpose of marriage. Um, why does it exist in our culture? Why does it exist for individuals? Um, and is it something, I mean, certainly not something for everybody, I think. But having said that, <clears throat> I think marriage is a really good idea in cases where people want to have children. Um, because I think that it creates a contract uh, that creates a financial legal framework around the enterprise of making children. i put it this way, if you're if you're bringing your genetics together to create a human being and you both have shared responsibility for that human being, then you, there ought to be some construct for marrying your resources, period. And, and, and certainly as you get into divorce, uh, you realize that a lot of, of marriage is about this, the laws pertaining to finances and resources and how you share them and what your obligations are. Um, having said that, the, the, the failure part isn't just, uh, oh, this was a bad financial decision. I'm not even necessarily saying that. I think it's, it's about, you know, there's certainly a huge emotional uh, depth of uh, trying to, to overcome that uh, in your life. So, so there's the emotional dimension, there's the financial dimension. And by the way, the financial legal dimension can propel the emotional part in a, in a deeper and darker direction. And so if there's one thing that can be said uh, right off the bat is <clears throat> the point at which you realize that you shouldn't be married anymore, uh, I think that, that the sooner uh, you can face that and be honest with yourself and ultimately be honest with that person who you're sharing your life with, um, it, 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 it behooves you. I think honesty is the key with this. But I also think that, that love is the key to it also. Uh, and you need to understand <clears throat> the shared history that you have and protect that uh, by, by leading with mutual respect, um, try to preserve the love, understand what it was that got you married to begin with, uh, and, tr- and work on preserving that and be very careful about the financial piece with regard to its ability to really tear that gap apart. 
And, I, I want to come back to that, yeah. but I, I really like what you said, Nick, because I've never heard it put that way. Because the way you just framed it explains and, and captures all the non-traditional settings. And, and I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, everybody knows that I'm not a very liberal person in that sense, <laughs> right? Yep. Most neurosurgeons aren't. But, but it does capture the idea of, for example, two gay men bringing uh-huh. in a child. That's their contract. They're going to raise this child mm-hmm. or a surrogate or all, all these different manifestations, adoption, right? Yep. That kind of framework of looking at marriage as like a enterprise, I don't want to call it a business, of raising humans, Right. Well, it yeah, and, and you're right. It's a it, it is an interesting con- counter position to the position that marriage is something that is sanctified by religion, and it was dictated as something that had to occur between a man and a woman uh, because it is part of a of rules handed down from God. Right. Versus this is a a legal financial construct necessary to enter into the enterprise of, of child rearing. Or uh, a third, even more common paradigm, which is the very liberal one of this is just about love and feelings. Right. Which well, is, okay, so but if that's true, there there really shouldn't be any legally binding aspects to it, and therefore there shouldn't be any need for uh, the legal financial dimensions of divorce, period, Right. I mean, you just it, go your it, separate way. Yeah, at the end. just go your separate yeah. ways. Like we come to this with the resources we have, we make the resources that we make, and we leave with those resources. Okay. End of conversation. Um, it, it gets it gets sticky in a relationship where there is uh, gender specific dichotomization of roles and what you're what you're meant to do. I.e., in the world of the 1950s and 1960s, where a woman stayed home, kept the house, raised the kids, where was primarily responsible for creating a home, meaning uh, all of the things that, that the nurturing, mm-hmm. right? And men were supposed to go out and, and uh, you know, bring home the bacon and uh, assert themselves and had that typical masculine role. Well, okay, there's nothing wrong with that kind of a relationship. People should have the right to choose that. But in, in that scenario, the man will necessarily end up with far more resources and therefore there should be an obligation at, at the end of the relationship to, to even that out. There was a promise of, on, the, on the part of the one person to provide the finances and resources while the other person was nurturing. That leaves the, the woman yeah. in, the, in the female role. Again, doesn't have to be gender specific. That, that traditional female role is in jeopardy as, as the emotional relationship Distances, right? So, so that's why I think about divorce, or rather, marriage itself, as a contractual framework for sharing resources. Yes, I love that because I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast with an anthropologist and very controversial one, where the the guest was explaining why men can have such difficulty turning down free sex. And the, the, this, I mean, it's fascinating, right? Because this cultural anthropologist is saying, well, so the contract is just as you described, Nick, that the, the man has to, I mean, again, we're using traditional cis, you know, right, biologic definitions I mean, here. I'm so sure you can, we could translate out. We of could that. translate that's it a, out. That's a yeah. whole different Right, but we don't have time to get into right. every permutation. So the idea is that because the man has in this contract, as you indicated, to support and provide this nurturing position for the family – and it's such a big investment for the man too. If he can have, if he can procreate without that, right. meaning have one-off sex and have babies outside of the marriage, he's getting freebies of genetic dissemination. Right. And so you could never turn that down. 
Well, okay. I mean, I'm just saying sure. this is this is the cultural anthropologist talking. Sure. Like, it'd yeah. be very hard to turn that down, right? And and yet, uh, the survival of those uh, progeny is statistically improved if there's a social structure that can protect uh, the woman and uh, and child as, well, as it's reared. But I, I don't. I wouldn't dispute that. And I mean, I, that's I'm a classic. Not, you know, yeah. do, you, do you put all your buck, all your investments in a handful of children, or do you have a ton of children and right. just see what happens? Right. Sure. I, I agree, but I, I guess I'm not. Uh, that that's, I guess, a pre uh, pre sexual or gender dichotomized um, paired social structure model, right? Yes, it's, it's, it's the nomad model. It's that the, is why this you know, was so controversial when Joe mm-hmm. Rogan was interviewing. Right. So, so going back to what you were saying, so why not just have marriage last for the duration until the the children are raised to 18 or 20 or whatever it is and then you break the marriage contract apart and then you can remarry if you want later for love right because i've i've run into lots of couples it's fascinating i've really been watching this and lots of super happy couples who are in their second marriage right, right. so yeah. they've, they've, they've they worked out the problems on the first one now the second one they're the better person now right well i think part of the process of, of the, this kind of hardening process that happens as you go through a divorce rubs your nose in what you really want. Um, and, and it, you know, people don't always get it right the second time. And, and as I said, just for me personally, uh, I, I feel perfectly comfortable with the idea that um, having been through a divorce, I can say, I love you. Um, we are sharing this time and I'm providing you resources or you're providing me resources but I don't need a contract to 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 surround a promise. And and coming back to something you said earlier, I find I find these promises difficult because because the fact is, um, people change, and I and and we could argue about that. But I I think at its heart, um, it's not just that people change, but the circumstances of your life change and your perspective changes, and so. When you promise somebody that you're going to be their partner forever, uh, you're sort of shortchanging the person you may become, and, and and not out of I mean, there's no necessarily intention to it. You evolve, and and at some point, looking back on things, uh, you may realize that that you know that was that that decision may have worked for that person you were at that time, but it doesn't necessarily work. For the person you've become, and and it, and or the way the relationship has evolved, and, and let me make another point, which is very specific to neurosurgery. When I got married, uh, and probably the time frame when you got married, neurosurgery was not there was no couples match, right? right. So so you here you are this this driven uh, medical student who's worked very hard to become, to, to be able to enter neurosurgery. Um, some would say you have to have a bit of tunnel vision to do that. And, and, you know, I'm a very, not a very tunnel vision guy. If, if we referenced the last, uh, podcast, but, but at the end of the day, um, the most important thing in my life at that time was my career, right? I didn't have kids. I, it was what I had built over the past, you know, high school, college, I mean, getting into Yale, getting into Harvard, you know, wanting to be a neurosurgeon. This was the most important thing in my life. And I had, my partner, uh, 
who was supporting me through medical school emotionally, and I was supporting her emotionally. Oh, she's she, a doctor too, right? Yeah, yeah. Wendy, my, my wife, who, who you know, um, is, was brilliant. I, um, I was in awe of her intellectual capacity. I think somewhere deep inside me, I thought, God, I want my genes to mix with her genes. <laughs> you know, I, I just had this, this, right. this idea that somehow we would create these uber children. And it wasn't even a conscious idea. I think it was subconscious, and I've come to realize that. Um, well, you but, both, but you're both similarly brilliant. We're differently brilliant, very differently. The way her mind works is mm. very different than mine. But I would, there, there's, there's still very few people I respect as much as her intellectually and I respected her value system. So I went down what was what amounted to a checklist, effectively, in my head of mm-hmm. good family, check, good values, check, good politics, you know, share the same political views, check. You know, everything checked out intellectually with this woman, in addition to the fact that she was the person I trusted the most, had my back. We went through all this tough stuff in medical school. I remember driving me to my MGH surgery rotations in on an icy morning at like 4.30 so I could pre-round. I mean, who does that, right? Yeah, so, right? I mean, that's the person that you think, shit, yeah, at the end of the day, that's the person I want in my life. And I'll tell you, completely honestly, I still want her in my life. I still love her, but she ceased to be the person I wanted to be married to. And I was, I, I was aware of that. I couldn't get past it, and ultimately I had to be honest about it, right? But, but to, to complete the thought, at that time, you couldn't couples match, right? So, and by the way, family plays a role. Her, her family's putting a lot of pressure on her for us to get married mm-hmm. because they have expectations that date to perhaps a different social time. So she was under family pressure that if we were living together, we should get married. And then comes the decision, I'm going to match where I want to go, okay, she's thinking she wants to stay in Boston. I'm thinking I want to go to Michigan, um, although I, I could have stayed in, in Boston. I know that. Mm-hmm. And obviously she could have stayed in Boston. She was being heavily recruited to stay at MGH in the Brigham, which when you go to Harvard Medical School, they yeah. basically tell you if you That's don't stay place. in Boston and you ain't going to Hopkins or UCSF, you basically failed in mm-hmm. internal medicine, right? Mm-hmm. So she's got uh, enormous career pressure. Her whole life has been about career also. And we reached this point of the end of medical school where in order for us to stay together, and she's my wingman, she's my, you know, she's my best friend, right? Either she's going to put one program on her match list and just come with me or not. So that was the moment where it was like, well, why are if I'm going to ask her to subvert her career goals to my career goals, or we're going to begin to meld our career decision-making so that we can stay together, well, we ought to get married, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, these these are the most important things in in both of our lives. We're going to meld these things, and there's a lot of family pressure to, to move forward. And I remember thinking... I can't imagine a world where she wasn't a part of my life. Let's get married. But but was this necessarily the ride I wanted for my life? Well, fast forward through another very emotionally, physically stressful period of life, residency, where she did she did her residency and fellowship, I completed residency. We had each other's backs again and and but 
the, the, the kind of time you spend together in medical school and residency is very different than once you have children and the kind of time you have afterwards. And she followed and, you from Michigan to Cleveland Clinic, then to Emory. That's correct. So and she made and four, think, four moves. And, and I think that that's, that's fair to say. Yeah. Because I don't yeah. think she, uh, you know, I, I, she was happy going to Cleveland. To, to be fair, I wanted to go to UCSF. I had a job offer at UCSF. I had a job offer in Seattle, mm-hmm. which at the time were amazing programs. Being Phil Starr's partner would have been amazing. Right. They couldn't find a job for her. So, so the move yeah. from residency to, profession, to, to first faculty position was largely subverted because of her needs. Yeah. It wasn't all asymmetric. It, so yeah. it went back and forth. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, she, her family has much more money than mine does. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I married for money the first time, perhaps. No. I, I certainly, <laughs> no, I certainly didn't. I certainly didn't. But financially, the decision to, to get divorced, I think, uh, was complicated and not a favorable financial decision. Okay, we'll come back. We'll, yeah. I want to come back to that. But... I want to go back to your role as a mentor because over the years, whether it be residents, medical students, PhD students, yeah. whatever, you've trained well over 100 people, well over. And I right. know how your people are. I had a chance to spend some time at the Georgia Neurosurgical with some of them. They love you. They worship you in a way that um, because you are, I mean, you have a persona and you're, you're, you're an accomplished scientist. You have authority and, and you're fun to be around. All those pieces. You check all the boxes as mentor. If, if you would be like the psychology professor in a movie, right? Like they want to be around you. Right. So they come to you, and many of them are married now. Yep. And they say to you, I'm just going to get the, the hypothetical, Dr. Bullis, you know, I'm about to get married. Should I get a prenup? Yeah. I'm sure you've been asked something like this before. Yeah. Uh, so the answer is yes, I think, I, because this is the part where um, if I pull myself out of it, that it, what you are doing when you're getting married is – you are framing this promise, which I've already said you may not have the authority to make because you may be different sometime in the future, um, with a financial framework, right? And uh, but prenups are about what happens to the resources that you bring to the marriage, right? And and that wasn't necessarily relevant to my my marriage because I didn't really have much in the way of resources. I mean, there were some that we got along the way, help from my parents, her parents, but really. The, the, the money is on the tail end. It's the stuff you'll inherit down the line. Mm-hmm. So I don't think a prenup would have done anything for me. But, but if you're entering a marriage where there's a huge asymmetry in resources, frankly, I, I would say a prenup takes pressure off the marriage because, because it, you have to be grown-ups and say, look, you know, by marrying you, I, I promise to, I'm promising to stay with you forever but, and that's where the rubber meets the road, yeah. right? right? Like the point at which you say, but if if I, if you necessarily have claimed all the resources that I bring to this, the moment I, you we accept this arrangement, then that's going to place a new kind of pressure on the on this relationship. And don't wouldn't you rather have this relationship proceed without the encumbrance of this threat of the loss of the resources you brought to it? And, and why is the threat so high for us as neurosurgeons? Well, I mean, the, it, it's, well it's, it's because as neurosurgeons, we have the capacity to generate resources. Um, so in a way, I don't know that, uh, well, this is, it's an interesting concept of whether, whether aspiring neurosurgeons should create prenups that define how an exit would occur. 
because that's what a prenup is about, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, this whole thing about I'm going to develop my career and I'm going to have this salary and you're going to do what you're going to do, but the point at which we break, you are entitled to X. Because the argument for for alimony and is that um, the individual receiving the alimony sacrificed something that allowed you to get to the point where you have the salary that you have, right? Yeah, that's the legal argument anyways, yes. Correct. So, so I think that you ought to be able to be a grown-up and sit down with them and say, okay, well, let's talk about this. Um, let's do this thing. Let's create a financial, this financial framework for the promise that I'm giving you. <clears throat> but, but let's talk about what's fair. Let's look into the future. Because in a way, that is rarely done, right? I've never what even heard what, of it being done. What, what, what is rarely done, the point at which you say, let's get married, is that the two of you soberly look into the future and, and contemplate the possibility that, the, that you will need to break the promise, Right, and and this is this is where the failure comes in, right? Because you know, if only I had understood the man I would become, perhaps I wouldn't have married her. But then that becomes a vortex, also because, hey, look, we created the most important things in our lives. We're both devoted to our children. We love our children, and and by the way, and I know this has been a stream of consciousness, but it's that thing that that is the the counterbalance to where the financial vortex p will pull you because because when the lawyers get involved it behooves them to create more discord yes. i hate to say that it's true they it's want true. they want the proceedings to go longer and harder because they make more money in doing it they're conflicted and even if you have a lawyer that you trust they're looking at it just from your side and your financial interests so they're protecting your financial interests but that's not necessarily protecting your emotional interest, which in the long run requires that you protect your shared history, you protect that friendship that you came into the relationship with. So well, to just to cut to the chase. They are financial parasites, to be clear. And, okay. and just like defense attorneys and malpractice are just as bad as the plaintiffs because it's an ecosystem for them. And just as an aside, I just saw on TMZ that Dr. Dre's having to pay uh, $2 million in legal fees for his, his for I think it's Nicole, his yeah. ex. I mean, the legal fees being millions. Yeah. Yeah. So, Dr. Dre. so I think, you know, like, why, why is that necessary? The answer is because they, you didn't have you didn't spend the time to figure out what you would do in this contingency. And, and once, once she's, he or she is sitting down with a lawyer and you're sitting down with a lawyer, listen, they're going to tell you what you're entitled to. And entitlement uh, is, is going to drive you apart. So, so I, what, I, what I would say is, yeah, it'd be great if you could have this discussion to begin with, but it's paradoxical. Because in a way, if you have to have that discussion, you're acknowledging the the temporal nature of the promise. Well, right. So you said, why can't we just get married for a period of time? Well, in a way, if you're saying, let's get married, and by the way, let's talk about the terms for how we get unmarried, in a way, you're, you, you have already changed the nature of... Of that, yes, yes. That and I find that many young men, especially, they find that if they're if they're trying to punch above their weight, which we often are, that they're so terrified the person will say no anyways that they yeah. don't even want to introduce that that factor. Oh. So, Nick, this is a fantastic conversation, and for our listeners, uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna stop here, but we're gonna have a second episode, and we're gonna release that in on a Thursday, so we don't interrupt the flow of our our episodes, because we're gonna get in a very important topic of 
preservation of the relationship and the marriage and what can be done and, uh, and, and mitigating factors, which I think is a little bit more of a proactive and, and less abstract discussion. Mm-hmm.